Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello. Out there. It's laughable to hear someone say of a terrifying, random murder that it isn't the kind of thing that happens around here. Do these people think that there's men in ski masks climbing in through windows every night in big cities? Every case I've covered where a man crawls in through a window and brutally murders an unsuspecting female under the cover of night has happened in a place where it wasn't supposed to happen. Around here is wherever a homicidal psychopath has grown or has decided to roam. Around here is everywhere and anywhere. Night stalkers like Bundy or Ramirez are, of course, quite rare. The type capable of the forthcoming crimes are once-in-a-lifetime criminals. But what is plentiful are street-level windows in any given neighborhood. Windows that display behind glass and under lights potential victims for the taking. And in an increasingly desperate society, I'd be concerned about what may walk past your house and like what it sees. I wouldn't tempt fate, is all I'm saying. Not to be paranoid or anything, but maybe lock the doors and the windows. And close the curtains. And... Sleep with a weapon handy, and watch out for your routines, and... Welcome to Dark Topic, I'm your host Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. The Maneuver Murders. That is how he thought of them. Maneuvers. Riding a bike through southern Florida in the early 80s was what one investigator would later call a once-in-a-career type criminal for this investigator's career, investigator Rick Lincoln. It's unknown how many victims this killer had enough. That's for sure. He detected a girl staying at the Peter Pan Motel off of the North Federal Highway in Boca Raton. That was November 1st of 82. Got in somehow, clubbed her over the head, bashed in the skull so bad that a piece of it broke off and rested directly on her brain as he raped the unconscious, unnamed victim. This was his style, this little man who, like Peter Pan, preferred windows as a way of visiting girls in the night. Also like Pan, small in stature, flight of foot, agile, athletic, petite this killer was. His performance of the maneuvers was a deadly dance floating through the chosen abode, leaving barely a trace of himself. It was always the same. Beat over the head, 
raped while unconscious. He called in the Peter Pan motel caper, but from there, he lost any sense of humanity. It became a game to him. Clue, an 18-year-old girl in an apartment with a pipe wrench, a professor from FAU with a brick. Professor Blockhead, that's what he monikered the victim, which goes to show you the type we're dealing with here in this game. Hey, and I might as well stop playing games here myself. Let's meet Dwayne Eugene Owen. He's known to Florida police by 1984 as a burglar, prowler, sexual offender. The little guy is a journeyman pervert, flashing girls on college campuses, peeking in windows, cutting screens on windows before being noticed and running away. Not always being noticed and not always running away, mind you, but we'll get to that. What I should mention here is that he always cut in an L, a big L, a loss for those who would be inside of such a home, but also like the Zorro insignia, kind of like he's a fucking loser coming on in. But you're going to lose too. Dwayne Owen is 23 when we catch up with him here in May of 84. Just as his crimes are heating up, his maneuvers slowly becoming more and more murderous. Just a little guy, but dangerous. The type of dangerous you could feel off of some men. Eyes that seem to subliminally cut the clothing from any female he finds attractive. An untrustworthy little weasel who would snatch anything from anyone if given a moment's opportunity. Crew cut, clean shave. Dwayne had wanted to be in the military. Wanted to be a cop. Anything that involved crime or killing. He was fascinated with that world. It was the power involved. Little shits like Dwayne Owen, of course, will never cut it. But there are other ways to break into the world of control, like through a window. He knew there was no way for him on the good side. The wrong side of the tracks was where he'd lived. Always. Anyways. Back home in Gas City, Indiana, Dwayne Owen had grown up rough. He and his brother had suffered much physical, mental, even sexual abuse in a home where anything went. Their mother was raped in front of them. Their father let alcohol flow free from a never-ending tap. Former neighbors would later share of how at the Owen home in Gas City, the alcohol was delivered each week by truck. Mom would get cancer, and the boys would watch her wither away, then die before their eyes. Dwayne was only 11 at that time. Dad picked up drinking even more from there, and at age 13, Dwayne and his brother, Mitch, found Dad dead in the garage in his car. I don't know if he smoked himself out or if he, or if he shot himself, but he did commit suicide in the garage. Coming from a culture where in-house issues were kept in-house, even when Dwayne's brother was locked in the basement by Dad at times, or Mom was dying and in need of more than vodka, sprites, pea pickers as she called them, and fed to her boys from the age of nine, in this world, finding your dad dead isn't cause for a call to authorities. The boys knew that without parents, they'd be thrown away in one of them orphanages Dad had always threatened. So they kept Mom on the corpse in the garage. Quiet. I mean... Their mom's corpse had been kept too long as well, but not this long. They didn't stack them on top of each other, if you follow my horrid bit of fun that I'm having here. If not, don't bother 
looking back. That was how Dwayne, Eugene, Owen always felt. There was too much coming at him to worry about what was already suffered. And besides, it was the 70s, man. A decade he spent much of in an orphanage up in Michigan, as he and his brother Mitch had feared. This existence was somehow worse than the one they'd lost in Gas City, Indiana. They were physically and sexually abused through their stay. Being so small in stature made Dwayne a prime target. By the time he got out of the orphanage at 18 years old, Dwayne Owen had learned to use his size to his advantage in becoming nearly invisible, overlooked, and underestimated. He'd followed his big brother out to Florida eventually, and this is where he'd been finding trouble year-round, until the beginning of the end, when a maneuver led to a murder that would get nationwide attention. Babysitting shouldn't be high on the list of risky occupations, but when you break it down, it is quite scary. Considering what could go wrong, a fire in the microwave from overheated popcorn, misbehaving kids running wild, disinterested teenage girls too busy on the phone to bother with them as they break their femurs effing around. I mean, I know it's only a few hours, but a lot can happen if the conditions are just right. Wrong is what I'd be to paint the forthcoming scene in such a way. What was dangerous here was that a 14-year-old girl got noticed babysitting under lights through a window from the dark by a guy like Dwayne Eugene Owen. He spotted her through a low window of a white bungalow. He was riding his bike from the beach out behind all the affluent houses here. And the lights were on. These were meant to deter such an advance. But an advance from darkness to a well-lit window is made easy by the blinding light itself. It's an affluent area, like I said, of Delray Beach, Florida. It's at the end of a quiet cul-de-sac named Harbor Drive. The oceanfront lays just beyond. I think it's called Rogers Lake, but it comes off the ocean. There's waves that can be heard distantly crashing in the background of the darkness. Dwayne Owen pedals up his bike from the beach. This is how he maneuvers. The bungalow is hidden amongst privacy brush and Florida fauna. Larger houses surround the Helm household, but none can see into the property. It's supposed to be safe here, a good place to grow a family. The Helm family consists of a mother, a father, and two little girls, three and seven years old. Mom and dad are up for date night this Saturday evening, March 24th of 1984. They've hired a much sought-after sitter and 14-year-old Karen Slattery. Karen is a popular girl. Sweet, well-mannered, great with kids. She wants to be a diver, like in the Olympics. She's training for this in high school. Uh, she's 14, so I believe she's in grade 9. And, I mean, just a sweet little girl who has just had her braces taken off. She has a retainer in now. And she's in this home babysitting probably for like five bucks with these little girls. The Helm sisters, they love having Karen as their sitter. They're always getting their hair braided as they watch movies and play games. Dwayne Eugene Owen, after appraising this scene through a living room window, 
eating popcorn, braiding hair, watching TV, the little girls are. He's like, babysitter. I know it. I can see it. I can see it by the way the older girl is treating the younger girls. I am waiting here long enough that I do not see a parent intervening. It appears to be a babysitting night. What day is it today? It's Saturday, yes. Yes, this is a babysitter. He goes to a window that's darkened. He takes off his shoes, then his socks. This is around 8 p.m. And then he slides these socks over his hands to protect them from leaving prints. This is clearly a crime on the fly. He uses the bike to get up to the master bedroom window. Again, he's like really short. This is a perfect entry point. The kids and who he deduces to be the sitter he observes through the living room window will likely steer clear of this room in a time where uh, kids feared going into the master bedroom of their parents. 1984. (laughs) At least I did. Dwayne Owen pulls out his weapon, a medium-sized pocket knife, pulls the blade from the handle with his teeth, then cuts a large L into the screen. Like, loser. Entrance, right? But the window itself, it's open a few inches, so he doesn't have to mess around with that at all. He just has to get through the screen quietly, pops the window further open. They have the air conditioning turned off. It's not too warm, not too hot. It's just right. See, this is what attracted him to case this joint in the first place. The slightly open window, the um, easily observable situation going on in the living room with the bright lights, and um, it's on. I mean, he doesn't necessarily want it to be on. He is a burglar. He is a guy who will go in and rape a woman from time to time and bash him over the head with a brick or whatever. But on this day, he really just wanted to go out and drink and smoke some weed. Uh, But as he drove past this place, the situation was too perfect. Dwayne cases everything. It never really ends. Tonight, he ended up planning on doing much more than drinking at a place called The Gipper, which is nearby in Delray Beach. And he'll get to that place once he takes a closer look here, sees what he's dealing with. He climbs in through the master bedroom, nightmare Peter Pan and his bare feet and sock puppet hands. In the closet, he'll find some deerskin gloves, ladies, which fit him perfectly. Socks back on, he lurks around looking for anything to steal. And then the giggling of girls from down the hall draws his attention. So he silently opens the bedroom door, creeping out just far enough to see the back of their heads over a couch from the hallway. Their heads are fixed to a television. Their heads are also, the little girl's heads are being um, braided by 14-year-old Karen Slattery. And with just this glance at the back of their heads and what they're up to, and a little listen to the conversation between them, he takes in the whole situation and confirms what he thinks is going on here and what is going on here. Dwayne Owen is sharp, especially in matters of stalking prey. He decides at once his plan of action. Go drink at the Gipper, smoke some weed, play some pool, be seen, create an alibi, then come back around 10 when these little ones should be sleeping, and that pretty little teen obviously babysitting will be all his. Back out the L-shape, cut in the screen, the loser goes onto his bike, and the danger recedes from the home of Harbor Drive, Delray Beach, Florida. For now. 14-year-old Karen Slattery, the babysitter, calls her mother at 10 p.m. 
she has put the girls to bed and is planning on finishing up the popcorn while watching a movie. The Helms will be home just after midnight. Mr. Helm will drive her back home. Good night, Mom. I'll see you in the morning. They had four phone calls that night. This is how close she was, this babysitter. Karen Slattery to her mother. Four phone calls. Just, hey, Mom. Yes, going good. Hey, Mom. She's not calling boyfriends. You know, she's not calling friends. She's calling her mother. And the last time she calls is at 10 p.m. Dwayne Owen crept in just around this time, wearing nothing but shorts and the deerskin gloves he'd stolen earlier. He creeps up behind Karen through the hallway. He is shirtless. The plan is to walk away from this with as little blood in his clothing as possible. When Karen freezes after hanging up the phone, following the chat with her mother, then picks the phone back up off the kitchen wall, he realizes she has spotted his reflection in a kitchen window. She never makes a sound, and of this, the killer will later puzzle. The mystery solved when he's told he destroyed the 14-year-old's vocal cords when he slashed her throat in a frenzy that saw Karen Slattery stabbed and sliced 18 times. It is all a blur to Dwayne, though he snaps back into a state capable of recollection while dragging the gasping girl by the ankles to the master bedroom. He is shirtless, remember, in shorts, with fucking socks over his hands. No, 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 wait, wait, what is it now? It's those deerskin gloves that he, that he stole from the mother. And as he drags the girl who's been hired by the mother, this 14-year-old Karen Slattery, down the hall, she is drowning on her own blood from a puncture wound to her lungs. Dwayne drags her continuously, silently, slowly down the hall. Even though she's gasping, she's not screaming, and he hopes she's quiet enough in her death throes here not to wake the little girls. She may be gone by the time her bottom is stripped bare in the master bedroom and her blouse is pulled up to her slashed throat. When Dwayne is finished raping the girl, he leaves her posed, legs open, then places a towel over her face. An indicator of guilt, they'll say. Maybe. If so, it's lucky for the little ones in the next room that he's still capable of shame. Later, Dwayne will be like, hey, at least I didn't kill the little girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a good guy, buddy. He checks on these little girls, and both appear undisturbed. So he closes their door, their twinkle, twinkle, little star, globe, um, bouncing off the walls, you know, the type of thing that you let play for little kids to send them off to sleep. He closes the door to this and goes to take a shower. Dwayne Eugene Owen puts his shirt back on afterwards, the gloves he wears through the showering. Careful now. And then he flees the scene. Through the window with the big L shape and off on his bike, dumping the gloves and some other items in the brush, I believe he touches his shorts with the gloves and takes those off and then heads quickly to his brother's apartment, maybe in his underwear. It's past midnight when he gets back home to his brother's, a shitty little spot on the wrong side of the tracks in Boca Raton, Florida. The killer is careful not to wake his brother and a friend of theirs who are 
both passed out. He sets the kitchen clock back to 10 p.m., the time of the brutal babysitter maneuver. Then he wakes the boys up to have a drink with them, being sure to point out the early hours so that the two will honestly back up his alibi. Later, if necessary. In fact, it's around 1 a.m. Sharp was Dwayne Owen. But also benefiting from the times. You could get away with such shenanigans in the early 80s. Neither of his roomies had a watch, and even if they did, neither would have cared to have checked it. Mr. Helm, the father of the little girls back at this babysitter's slaughter, he does have a watch, however. And at quarter to midnight, he begins driving he and his wife home from their night out. When they pull into their driveway, it's immediately obvious that something's not right. The house seems dark and lifeless. Karen usually turns on the porch light for them. Mr. Helm tentatively enters first and immediately notices Karen's retainer on the floor. When he sees the streak of blood going down the hall, he tells his wife to run to the neighbors and call for help. She is distraught about the little girls, seven and three years old. We know they're unharmed, but the Helms do not. Dwayne Owen, our killer here, was sure they were asleep when he shut their door and took a shower. But later, the youngest, three years old, will speak of a, quote, bad Indian with blood in his mouth, end quote, who checked in on them. He, of course, is not Native American, but this is the way that she perceives this. That maybe from a movie or something like that, that a bad Native American in her dream, you know, this three-year-old, saw peek his head into her door with blood in his mouth. Shirt off, right? Maybe like some weird savage type imagery that she got from a movie. And um, that's how she perceived what she saw through her barely opened eye. Police soon arrive and the girls are discovered safe in their beds. And I have questions about the parents not confirming their children were okay themselves. I understand the situation must have been terrifying, but from my cozy little couch quarterbacking how this shit should have played out, it seems to me that if you thought there was danger in your home, then maybe make sure your girls, three and seven years old, aren't currently in that danger. Regardless, they're okay. But the babysitter, 14-year-old Karen Slattery, of course, is not okay. Want to learn a new language? Well, then Rosetta Stone is for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It has fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process. It helps you pick up language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's designed for long-term retention, Rosetta Stone is. They have the speech recognition feature, built-in true accent. It gives you feedback in your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. There's an amazing value with Rosetta Stone. A lifetime membership, all 25 languages, and offered here for 50% off. It's a real steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today 
That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The news of the babysitter homicide rattles Delray Beach and Florida at large. It will be quite some time before parents are able to find a young woman to watch their kids on a Saturday night. Quite some time before leaving the side of your kids at all seems like a good idea at the time. The name Slattery, to this day in the area, is synonymous with slaughter. Karen's parents were obviously devastated. Her older brother, off on military duty, as I heard, had to have been stunned by the news. He went off to help people, and the help was needed at home. Though, what, you're supposed to, like, give up military duty just to walk behind your younger sister at all times? Her younger sister, Karen's younger sister, Debbie, maybe took it hardest. She idolized her older sister. The little girl couldn't fathom what it meant that Karen was just gone murdered. Somebody had climbed in a window at the place she was babysitting at and murdered her big sister. Raped her? What does rape mean? That's messed up. You know, to have been shopping with your big sister as this little sister Debbie was, she was shopping for a dress she'd wear to an Easter gathering with her older sister Karen, but it ended up she'd wear it by her sister Karen's coffin days later. Debbie, Karen's younger sister, would grow up to be a cop, saying that all through life after Karen, she found it hard to sleep at night. So being out on patrol, protecting others, gave her a great purpose and peace, and replaced the fear of her childhood, where she'd been certain someone would come get her too. Because that's what happens. Right? Your older sister goes to babysit and she never comes home. That's what happens to everybody, right? No, it's not what happens to everybody. But yes, it is what happens sometimes, somewhere, anywhere. Anyway, I'll try not to get too weird about it. An absolute tragedy, a shocking crime. And now investigators are left 
to pick up the pieces. All they have for now is a foot impression. Then comes the flasher. Some pervert who's been riding a bike around FAU, Florida Atlantic University, showing girls his junk. The menace has been seen at dorm windows. In one case, he's been cutting a screen open in a large L shape. When he was spotted by his target female, they come face to face at the window above her bed, in fact, and the killer decides to flee. But there's a sketch now to work with, and the sketch is pretty good. Investigators led by the very competent Detective Lincoln start looking through photos of local sex offenders and burglars they have on file. One face seems to match the sketch quite well, not to mention the detail of how small the new swinging dick on campus was reported to be in stature, I mean. I'm not clear on the equipment, though I doubt Dwayne Owen was dragging around a fire hose. It takes two months for Dwayne to pop on the investigation's radar. And when he does, the plan is to bring in the victims of the campus flasher and have them study a photo lineup with Dwayne Eugene Owen's face within. But the lead comes on Memorial Day weekend. Every witness has left a party in the Keys of Florida. The lineup will have to wait until Tuesday, May 29th of 1984. Monday, May 28th, 1984, two months since the shocking Karen Slattery murder, less than 24 hours before Dwayne Eugene Owen will be taken into custody. He's prowling close to home in Boca Raton, crossing the bridge from the wrong side of the tracks from his brother's shitty apartment on his bike, and he's looking through windows again. Dwayne comes across the home of 38-year-old Georgiana Warden, Georgia, as she's known by friends and family, lives in a small, moderate-income home on Northwest 35th Street in Boca Raton with her two daughters, aged 13 and 9. The father had left eight years previous. The single mother works two jobs. One is an instructor at a local college where whispers of a flasher were becoming louder, and another job, I believe, as a secretary, but the details were hazy on that. Hazy, too, are the sheer curtains that cover Georgiana's bedroom window as Dwayne Owen peeks in. It is just past 11 p.m. this Monday evening. The girls are sleeping together in the front bedroom while their mother reads in the back master bedroom. Georgiana is petite at 5 foot tall and 100 pounds, about the same size, actually, as Karen Slattery. Just the right size for the killer maneuvering around her home. He waits for the woman to doze off, a copy of Mistral's daughter slowly dipping before her pretty, bespectacled face. When Georgiana Warden takes off her glasses and sets the book down, Dwayne Owen knows it's almost time. Soon the lights go out, and 15 minutes or so later, the screen to the kitchen window is being sliced in an L shape, and a shadow soon slips through the opening and pulls open the slightly open kitchen window. He finds a hammer. This is again a crime on the fly. It's not clear if he wore socks in his hands this time, but like the Delray Beach horror, there are two little girls fast asleep in another room where Dwayne Owen creeps in for the kill. He says later he just wanted to rape her, but he figured he should give her a shot in the head first. Georgiana didn't stand a chance. She is battered over the head half a dozen times. The damage is extensive 
though later the coroner would deduce that it took an hour from the first blow from the hammer for the woman to die. In that time, she is raped and left posed on her bed, spread eagle, for her daughters to discover the next morning. Something to be proud of, Dwayne. Like with the 14-year-old Karen Slattery crime scene, there is little evidence left behind, though a fingerprint will later be picked up from the book Georgiana Warden had been reading before bed, Minstrel's Daughter, about a model getting naked or something like that, naked like the corpse of this poor woman is on her bed before her children now. Another detail of connection between this and the Delray Beach babysitter horror was that both victims were found with their faces covered by a towel or a piece of clothing. It's immediately obvious to detectives that the two could be related. The whole thing feels the same, looks the same, with the sliced screen and the posing and the little girls in another room, though I'm not certain that's a factor at all. This is just a recurring nightmare for South Florida. I mean, to think that in both cases, two little girls could have been taken too. And also later to think that this killer will hint at, hey, you know, I could have been worse. I could have been worse. The next day after this horrific murder of Georgiana Warden, investigators are able to show a photo lineup of known Southern Florida scumbags to girls from FAU who have been terrorized by a little weirdo flasher on their campus. There is no doubt in their minds that the photo of 23-year-old Dwayne Eugene Owen is the guy. If I didn't make it clear, he's also confirmed by the young woman who had had a man attempt to climb in through her bedroom window after cutting the L-shape through the screen. She confirmed that was the guy, the creep, she had come face-to-face with and scared off recently. Dwayne Owen is picked up while riding his bike close to the recent murder scene in Boca Raton. He lives near here with his brother, like I mentioned. It's a day late, though, and another victim down. He's finally brought in, however, on May 30th, 1984. Two days past the evening of uh, Georgiana Warden's murder, which drives you nuts, doesn't it? It drives me fucking crazy. It drives them crazy. It drives investigators crazy. It's fucking horrific. Memorial Day weekend. We could have had his photo four days ago confirmed. We could have picked him up before he'd done this. And Dwayne brought in and appraised of some of these details, seems almost delighted by everything. Uh, his eyes dance as detectives move from the Flasher case to the recent murders that have paralyzed Boca, Delray Beach, and beyond. Dwayne Owen enjoys himself, says he has nothing to share until he's faced with what little evidence they have. The fingerprint left on the book is huge. The footprint back from the Slattery case, is interesting to him. But in the investigator's logbook, you know, their little journals here, they're like, we need more. We need more. Thankfully, <laughs> to Dwayne, they have enough. They, they need this confession from Dwayne. All it takes is these little pushes of their small amounts of evidence that they have. And Dwayne Owen shows himself to be proud of his crimes. When asked if there's more than two victims, he smiles and says, quote, Roses are red, yellow, white, and pink. To play my game, you have to think. End quote. Good one, Dwayne. As bright as he thinks he is, in the end, Dwayne Owen proves quite dull. 
It only takes the suggestion that he could be guilty of the babysitter murder, as well as clearly being involved in the warden murder, for him to begin grinning, then feigning deep thought. An investigator asks him, upon seeing his demeanor, what's up? It's been 16 hours of questioning to this point, and Dwayne responds, I'm just trying to think. And the investigator asks, think of what, Dwayne? Think of a way out? And this is when Dwayne smiles while studying a fingernail and says, no, there's no way out. You guys got me good, man. Dwayne says this as though he admires the police work done here. But it's his confessing tone, his words of confession, that's really done the job here. Remember, Dwayne Owen wanted to be a cop. He behaves as though he's among peers here. This is kind of cool. But the buzz wears off when he's put in a cell and deserted by his new buddies. He'll talk about his crimes with cellmates, and the information is passed to the investigators through informants who don't give a shit about Dwayne Owen. The bloody deerskin gloves used in the Karen Slattery murder along with Dwayne's socks, are found in some brush near the scene in Delray Beach. The murder weapon is eventually tracked down through informants as well. Dwayne Owen had buried it somewhere that they were aware of, and it's crazy because he won't give up much to investigators in the follow-up interrogations, but he can't seem to help himself once back in the yard. He'll say to his buddies or guys who he thinks are his buddies, this is what they asked me, they asked me about the weapon this time, and here's where I buried it, but... I'm not going to tell them about it. And then those guys are like, fuck this little shit. Maybe I can gain something to my favor by sharing this information. And they go off and share it. Nobody likes Dwayne Owen. He's a despicable little shit, even by prison standards. Killing a mother of two, blindsiding her with a hammer, then raping the body as she dies. Leaving that body for her kids to find? Posed? Going after a babysitter, a 14-year-old. A random young girl eating popcorn after putting little kids to bed. These are well-known crimes that he's done. Everybody knows what Dwayne Owen did. Dwayne Owen is notorious. But there's a cowardly element to his crimes. His maneuvering that his fellow inmates are far from impressed by. The body of Karen Slattery is exhumed once the knife is recovered thanks to jailhouse snitching. And the puncture and slash wounds are matched to the blade of Dwayne's. That fucks me up a little bit. I mean, it must have come pretty quick, right? Her flesh couldn't have deteriorated. They were matching the blade to this 14-year-old girl's corpse where the flesh had not yet rotted away. The father had to have uh, okayed it. And we'll get to the father in a second here. This is quite the sad uh, fallout. In October of 1985, Dwayne Eugene Owen is sentenced to die in the electric chair for these so-called maneuver murders. This father I'm getting to is, you know, relieved. Like, fuck. Good. Dwayne will later appeal the sentence on grounds that he was improperly arrested, improperly Mirandized, and some nonsense about not being guilty of forcible rape since both victims were dead or nearly gone when he sexually assaulted them. Can you imagine the families being forced to go through all this again, all the details in court? And having to hear of how Dwayne should be spared because he nearly killed your loved one before raping, then posing them so crudely in death. It couldn't be forcible if their fucking brains were half bashed in. Oh, and I almost forgot that Dwayne would later claim that the babysitter murder was a robbery gone wrong. 
He'd said he'd only been looking for hormone medication to assist with his transition to become a woman. The fact that he left jewelry, a necklace and earrings still in a teenager, in that case, went against the robbery motive, but also, give it a rest, Wayne. That's enough maneuvering for this life. Don't you think? In the Slattery family's case, so much more devastation would follow. On Father's Day of 1989, five years after Karen's murder, Karen's father joined her in death when he died in a small plane crash on Father's Day. Years later, Karen's younger sister, Debbie, who, like I mentioned, would become a police officer, large in part because of what happened to her older sister, Debbie's husband dies in a boating accident. He was the only one who could withstand the details being shared again at Dwayne Owen's appeal hearing. He had stepped up after the loss of the Slattery Patriarch on Father's Day of all days. Debbie's husband passed on Mother's Day, if you can believe it. Tough to believe anything happens for a reason with such cases, and if it does, there's some cruel pranksters pulling the strings, maybe like Dwayne Owen in the afterlife, or Ted Bundy, or Richard Ramirez, these demons that think they go on to become, you know, right-hand men of the devil. That's what Dwayne Owen seemed to think was going to be his future, like he made a deal with the devil. At least that's what I deduce after hearing his last words. On June 15th of 2023, 62-year-old Dwayne Eugene Owen enjoyed a final meal of a bacon cheeseburger without a bun, that's keto, onion rings, maybe not keto, eh? Strawberries, a vanilla milkshake, and cherry ice cream, also a coffee. Nobody visited him. He left a note with his final statement, quote, I have transcended space and time. I have seen the visions of the crow. My energy and particles will transform ad infinitum. I will live on. I am Tula. 13. End quote. Pretty cool stuff, Dwayne. Okay, now, right this way, little guy. He was executed at Florida State Prison via lethal injection this past early summer. Georgiana Warden's two surviving daughters and other family members attended, as did Karen Slattery's little sister and other family members as well. Debbie, the little sister, the cop, shared that the last thing her older sister Karen saw was Dwayne Eugene Owen's eyes. And then the last thing Dwayne would see would be hers and the others. His actions devastated so greatly. And that wouldn't be good, but it would be somehow satisfying. Now that he's gone, the victim's families and friends can rest without threat of further appeal from this fucking scumbag, without having to spend a fifth decade being dragged through the details of a remorseless killer's crimes. Opponents to capital punishment, like his lawyer, complained that this solved nothing, that this maneuver does not undo the maneuver murders, and only adds another victim to the whole mess. Did you not hear what Dwayne had been through as a kid? And to that, I don't know what to say, except a lot of us go through a lot as kids, and we don't end up killing babysitters and climbing through windows and smashing women over the head with fucking hammers and leaving them posed for their little kids to come find. I don't know what else to say, except maybe we should be careful whom we moniker as victim. 
Sometimes I wonder what moves men like Dwayne Owen. Men like Dwayne Owen grin in the face of what one day will each take us away. It's like they made a deal or something. It's like they truly know evil or something. Something that the rest of us are left just guessing at. Richard Ramirez, Ted Bundy, BTK, who's still yet to go for some reason, they had the same energy as Dwayne Owen, as if nothing could truly touch them, as if they'd already negotiated a deal to their satisfaction. My hope is that the devil is real, and the smug self-assuredness of such losers is a manipulation, a maneuver of the darkness, a lie that creeps at the screen to every soul, tearing a jagged L-shaped gash before climbing in to a window already open to it. Hey, and that'll do it. Uh, It's been a while. Sorry for the break. Lots going on over on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash darktopic. And you can sign up for Apple Plus to get a bunch of uh, the stuff that I put out there additionally. Also, I have a podcast called Maroon that you should check out. I'm sorry for repeating these things. This is what we uh, do. Or, sorry, not what I do, but what I've been told to do. What I do is just hang out and smoke a cigarette and say, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Mm. Hey, for Christmas, why not uh, ask your loved one to get you Apple Plus or Patreon? Hey, <laughs> I've been told to say that too. Um, merch coming soon. Told to say that too. Uh, what haven't I been told to say? Well, it's uh, it's just that these things happen. And um, they happen all the time, people say. I don't think they do. From my research, I tried to find more recent stuff. This is from 1984. I don't find a whole lot that has happened recently. And when it does happen recently, the true crime genre is so oversaturated that it's jumped on by podcasts bigger than myself and with more resources than myself. Um, But what I will say is that if you live in a home that's street level at night, don't have your lights on and your curtains open because you are just victims, potential victims under glass. And if you're not that, you're just being judged by the people driving by your house with whatever you're doing. Close the fucking blind. Please. I go for night walks. And this is kind of where this case and a lot of the uh, tone to it and the flavor to it came from. Is that I go for walks at night. And I'm one of them. I'm not a, a rapist or a murderer. But I'm, I'm a bit of a looky-loo. I don't walk up to to your windows or nothing like that. But I do walk along the street as a, as a male. And I see what's going on in there when you leave it open. And I see everything. Quickly. I see there's little kids. I see there's a single mother. You know, I, I see that maybe there's not a car in the driveway. I see that you guys are um, destitute maybe in some way. And I see when the light goes on in the back room. And then I see it go off. And I see another light go on. And I understand that that one light 
is the kids' room, and the other is yours. So, stay paranoid. <laughs> Eyes cocked, doors locked. With love and concern. I'm just concerned, please. Like, just concerned. I, 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 I concern over my own family so much, and I know I'm there. And, and I walk around and all that, and maybe I, I'm overly so when it comes to paranoia. Um, I just, I just wish that in almost every case that I cover that I could have been a friend, you know, it's good to have a crazy friend in the way in which I'm crazy. And I hope that if you don't have one, maybe I could be yours. That's it. Okay. Finally, eyes cocked, doors locked, stay paranoid. Apple plus Patreon. Come on. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. <laughs> 